Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat with your host, Andy Storch. The show is dedicated to helping you develop the most important part of your organization, the people. If you are in HR or talent development, or you just want to learn how to get the best out of your people, then you are in the right place. This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome back to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me today. I have a new interview for you with my friend, Nicole DaCosta. And today we're talking not only about talent development, but all about unconscious bias and microaggressions as well. Nicole is a learning and development leader at Brinker International, home of Chili's Grill and Bar. And after spending over two decades in the hospitality industry, specializing in both restaurant and retail organizations, Nicole understands the importance of the guest experience. She brings expertise in leadership, culture, and inclusion, and talent development. And she's passionate about cultural intelligence and bridging the gap between our differences to connect more meaningfully at all levels. She's also big on volunteering in the Dallas area where she is. And we're going to dig into not only L&D, but how things have affected the hospitality or how L&D has worked in the hospitality industry, especially under COVID. We're going to dig into unconscious bias and microaggressions, as well as Nicole's experience of working as a black woman in corporate America. And we are, of course, going to talk about some of the trends and book recommendations that she has and the volunteer work she's been doing as well. Some great insights and uh, information in this episode, and I can't wait for you to dive in. So without further ado, here is my interview with Nicole DaCosta from Brinker International. If you work in talent development, you know that your job has become more important than ever. The problem is there's so much uncertainty and noise out in the business world, and things are changing so fast, it's hard to know where to go and what tools and resources to use to solve your problems. That's why I recently launched the Talent Development Think Tank community as a central and safe place to access information ask questions, and talk with other L&D professionals like you so that you can achieve your goals and accelerate your career. Join today to get instant access to our online platform and community of ambitious, helpful talent development professionals who understand your world and can help you solve your problems. Right now, I'm offering 25% off the subscription price to podcast listeners. Just go to talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT for 25% off. That's talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT. Thanks, and on to the episode. Hey, Nicole. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. 
Hey, Andy, how's it going? So good. I'm so excited to have you on. We have just a ton of great topics to talk about today from learning and development in the hospitality industry to really digging into diversity, equity, and inclusion, and things like unconscious bias and microaggressions and how those fit into L&D and what we can all be doing to improve there. Before we do, I thought we'd start with a little bit of your background. Maybe you can share a little bit of your background of L&D and how you got to where you are today. Okay. Well, thank you for asking and, and thank you for inviting me to the hot seat. I'm so excited to be here. I'm going to take you way back. And my mom used to ask me, little girl, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I told her I wanted to be a waitress and a teacher. So my background going to school, I went to college. I went to Houston Tillotson College, now Houston Tillotson University in Austin, Texas. It's a historically black college. And I went there to learn how to be a high school teacher. And while I was in college, you know, like most college students, you know, what are you going to do to earn a couple bucks? We wait tables and we bartend. And so I got my restaurant's introduction and initiation while in college. And so it's been this really cool journey of taking this education for being a high school teacher, which I tried it, wasn't quite for me, but it transitioned into training and development within corporate America and started off in medical manufacturing, but then it transitioned to retail, which I really, really loved. And then it brought me back home to my roots in the restaurant industry. So I've been in a learning and development capacity for a restaurant organization here in Dallas, Texas. And honestly, it's allowed me to merge both of those loves of being engaged with the restaurant and learning and teaching and going back to my childhood roots, I guess you could say. I like it. My dad was a high school teacher for 30 years. My parents were all educators and teaching high school sounds scary to me. I'd rather be uh, doing training and development programs for adults, but- well, It's always just funny when you walk down the hall and they think that you're one of them. Right, <laughs> <Your> <laughs> when you're young. So getting into L&D, what is your role and your responsibilities now at Brinker? So my role is learning and development. And so we sit within the Chili's org and primarily my responsibilities are reimagining and redesigning our manager curriculum. So everything from our hourly shift supervisors all the way up to our general managers and then also our multi-unit leaders. And so that could be anything from operations training, leadership development, diversity and inclusion, and the guest experience. And also, we also support our corporate office as well. And so everything from onboarding all the way through our talent review program and support tools. So it's a little mixed bag of a lot of different things, but we definitely work really hard to make sure our folks are getting what they need when they need it and the platforms that they need it as well. Yeah. I always see hospitality as being a very different industry from many others and L&D has extra challenges with a lot of people being out in the field serving customers and clients and things like that. How do you see L&D and hospitality being different from other industries? Well, I think the biggest difference is we're is dealing with the public. You never know what you're going to get. I mean, as a corporate employee, like I know the people that I work with and I typically work with them on a day-to-day basis. You get to know them, you understand who they are, what they where they come from, and you work with them in a, in a variety of projects. So you get to experience them on a day-to-day basis. But when you're working in, whether it's the restaurant industry, the retail industry, you have someone new coming in your doors every day. And that provides a wealth opportunities and sometimes different challenges because you're trying to, at the end of the day, you're trying to make a connection. You're trying to make people feel special. 
And so insurers are equipped with the skills and knowledge they need to deliver on those expectations and deliver those experiences. And sometimes you just, you really have to lean into, hey, you also have to be very, very flexible because sometimes people are going to come in who may not act in the most appropriate of ways. And so how do you deal with it then? Yeah, absolutely. So when COVID hit back in March, there wasn't really a company or industry out there that wasn't impacted in some way. But again, I feel like hospitality was adversely impacted. You know, you talk about restaurants, not to mention travel industry and everything else where people are basically not going anymore or shutting down and things have come back a little bit. But I imagine that had a big impact. How did your team handle that time and making sure that you were still able to engage employees when things were really getting shut down and there was so much uncertainty? Oh, absolutely. From a learning and development perspective, like we literally had to turn on a dime. And at that point, our business was changing every day, going from full service dining to go business model only. We had team members where we're saying like, like we, we need only this many and it was a big challenge. But what I really was proud of was how we literally said, you need no COVID protocols. Yes, we have disinfecting protocols. Yes, well, like we literally just, it was all hands on deck for anything that was needed to keep the business afloat, to keep it moving forward. And from that training perspective, even just saying we're currently not hiring anyone Let's kind of put everything on pause and, okay, well, when we are ready to start bringing in new team members or new managers, how are we going to onboard them and how are we going to train them? Like we went to virtual orientations for all of our managers and certified shift leaders. We went to a condensed training schedule so that way it was easier, faster for them to execute. And of course, it's like you're adjusting on the fly. And it's like now that where things are kind of, I don't want to say stabilizing, but at this, but it's like you're kind of, you're saying like, we know what to expect a little bit more now. How do we now revert back training back on? And so it's just constant evolution. It's constant process improvement to make sure that it can work for the people that are still needing to have the training in hand. Yeah, absolutely. And there's still a lot of uncertainty, but it does seem like as you and I are recording this in October of 2020, that things are stabilizing a little bit. So how do you approach developing, giving development to employees in the field who are running around, not really sitting in front of a desk all day? That's actually a really great question. A lot of our training, we have transitioned from very paper-based training about two and a half, three years ago, the whole learning and development team. So we have hourly training and we've got our manager curriculum. We went on this journey around how do we now transition our content from paper-based to digital where it's, it's accessible on mobile devices, whether it's an iPad in the restaurant, most of our team members are preferring to use their own mobile devices. And so it's how are we transitioning to e-learning, use a lot of use of really great video and just providing the learning that way, making it short, making it fast, making it easy, making it engaging and slick, as some people would like to say. And that's been probably one of the biggest, heaviest pieces of lifting that we've done. And it's been amazing. And when you have all of this content that's served up digitally, it makes it very easy to change on the fly. I mean, think about what's happening with COVID. It literally felt like it was three months where literally everything was changing on a daily basis, sometimes hour to hour. And so if there is a new protocol that needs to be deployed out to the field, if it's paper-based, oh, makes it really, really hard and challenging to control all of those different versions. But when it's digital, you literally can upload a new document or a new video or a new piece of training content 
and everyone has the most current and updated version. So that's been really, really great to have. Absolutely. I know you're really passionate about diversity, equity, inclusion, or DEI, something you've been working on and overseeing for a long time. And of course, the world became more focused on DEI after the death of George Floyd back in May Mm -hmm. of this year. And we saw a lot of organizations responding to that. And I'm curious what the response has looked like maybe for your organization. And what do you see as some of the biggest challenges holding companies back when it comes to DEI? Mm, That's a really good question. A senior director of diversity and inclusion at our organization who's been doing absolutely amazing work and really setting strategy around how do we want to address diversity and inclusion as an organization pre-COVID, pre-summer 2020, but how do we then react to what was happening across the country? And like you said, so many organizations were like, whoa, no one really could prepare themselves for what happened this summer. And so it's been really a, a great journey in listening to the organization, hearing what our leaders are experiencing in the field, hearing what our team members are feeling, and mm-hmm. how is that affecting their work, their sense of belonging, their lives. It was important for us to say, where do we need to lean heavier into the educational piece So deploying unconscious bias training, we're actually revamping what we had and deploying new content that really speaks to where we stand as an organization, which I'm also very, very proud of. It's like we can do better and we will do better in face of racial injustice and incorporating that language, incorporating messaging from our leadership team who's been excellent about standing behind us as an organization and standing with and standing with our communities. And so the work that we've done this summer and working collaboratively with our DNI senior director has been a really beautiful thing. We have an anti-racism um, alliance task force where we're not just looking at the training pieces, we're looking at our messaging externally to our guests and to the public. We're looking at taking that data and what insights are we gathering from that? What messages or signage do we need to have in our restaurants to support our team members? We're looking at everything We're looking at development for underrepresented groups. What about our Black general managers in our restaurants who are, is everyone having that fair opportunity and equal access to development? And so we've been unraveling and looking at all of those details, which has been really, really amazing. It's been a very proud moment in the midst of a lot of chaos and turmoil and sadness, but there's been a lot of great things that have come out of this. Yeah, no doubt. And we've seen a lot of organizations really step up and respond and change. And I want to get into that topic of unconscious bias you mentioned and what the challenges are and and the best practices and how we can help people and organizations. But I want to ask you about your personal experience as well. You're a Black woman, right? Working in the corporate world, which I know has had its challenges, right? How I am. (laughs) (laughs) This was not supposed to be news to you. This was... I didn't know. <laughs> we didn't specifically talk about this, but has anything changed for you or do you feel like things are different now that let's say the rest of the world is sort of quote waking up about this topic? So there's like, there are times when I, I'll have these moments of like, welcome to the barbecue. Thanks for coming. Like we, you, me and my family and my friends, we've been talking about this for a long time, but at the same time, I'm happy and I'm excited that the conversations are being had. Some of them are clunky and uncomfortable. And people are saying like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. It's like, I know, but don't avoid the conversation because you don't want to say the wrong thing. 
because avoidance is worse than saying the wrong thing, especially when it's coming from the right place. It's just the execution was a little, a little wobbly. I think in terms of my experiences, when I think about unconscious bias and how it has impacted me, it actually forces me to do this historical walk, you know, like into my past and saying like, huh, okay, so when I was a kitchen manager way back when, and I'm running my shift and kicking plates back to my, the cooks that were making everything behind the line, and they're challenging me. It's like, well, they're challenging whether I can run a, a kitchen effectively or not. And it's like, yeah, I can. And your plate sucks. Fix it and give it back to me because our guests don't deserve that. Unconscious bias around being the only woman of color in our restaurants. I had a situation where, and this wasn't an unconscious bias. This was actually a conscious bias. This was someone who called me Aunt Jemima and didn't think that I heard what they said in a group of male kitchen managers. And I'm like, are you talking about me? I'm the only black kitchen manager here. So what was that about? And it was extremely painful. It was humiliating, humiliating. And so when I think about those experiences, like I carry those lessons with me. And as much as I hate talking about being called Aunt Jemima, I have to tell you that story because people would be shocked and saying like, oh my God, who would say that? There are people out there who do. And so it's important for us to understand first and foremost, and I know there's so much information, there's so many conversations around unconscious bias and microaggressions and what are they? What's the difference? It is important for us to understand it because all of those things, why do you call, why do you think it's called unconscious? Because we're not aware of the things that we're doing or that it's harmful or offensive damaging to other people. But once you start to question, where does that belief come from? That's when you actually start to say, I can make some changes. And they may be small changes over time, but changes, I'm happy when people are making changes in the first place. This episode of the Talent Development Hot Seat is sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is the first place to call when you need leaders to lead, sellers to sell, and your business to flourish. We specialize in connecting organizations with exceptional learning solutions to help them turn strategy into action and get their people doing the best work of their lives. And we're also proud to be providing tons of great content and inspiration to you and everyone out there during troubled times. You can go to advantageperformance.com to find any of our weekly webinars, insights, white papers, and blogs we've been putting out to help you survive and thrive during challenging times. That website, again, is advantageperformance.com. And now back to the show. It's such an important topic. And like you said earlier, it's hard to bring up sometimes, you know, you're afraid of saying the wrong thing. Just when I said you're a black woman in the corporate world, I'm like, oh no, did I say something wrong? Is that not right? She went to a black college. Yeah. I mean, but here's the thing is like, but this is, this is great because there's going to be those moments where, and I think right now, because there's such a microscope on, on racial injustice and racial equity And there's obviously so many other underrepresented groups that we could and should be talking about. But the focus right now, the spotlight is on race. And so what I don't want to happen is every time someone says something, it's like there's like this level of like anxiousness about like going to do it wrong. Well, let's all just just start talking. 
to start talking and let's start there. And also, you know, for it's being aware of when you have to be willing to embrace people who are going through their journey and all of us are at different stages. So just throw that out there. That is true. I've had these conversations with a lot of different people, a lot of different reactions, different perspectives, which is great. We're all different people. So you were talking about unconscious bias and microaggressions, and there is a lot of conversation about that, but still a lot of people still may not be clear on what those things are, how they're affecting work and how we can improve. So let's start by explaining, you know, what are your definitions of what is unconscious bias? How's that impacting people? And what is, what are microaggressions? And when I think about an unconscious bias, it's like when you have like a certain prejudice or belief about a person, a thing or a group, and you're unaware of it, but it could be considered as unfair. And so it's all of those thoughts and beliefs where it could be influenced by where we grew up, where we went to school, our communities we lived in. But basically, it's when someone is acting and they're unaware or they don't realize that their behavior is biased. Microaggressions are things that people say and things that they do. It's like those little slights, those little actions that people take that you literally catches you off guard and say, like, did they say what I think they just said? Like, hmm, what was that about? And so the unconscious bias, those are the thoughts and the beliefs that are living underneath the surface. You've heard so many people say it's like they're natural. Our brain just naturally works that way. But it's the microaggressions are the things that people actually say and do that is also damaging and could be very hurtful. So I don't look at them as being the same thing, but I do think they ride a very fine line. They're related. And I think unconscious bias can drive microaggressions, right? Absolutely. Or, you know, and a lot of microaggressions are things that are done unconsciously. So you and I were chatting right before we recorded. I said, one of the most common things I hear from black women as a microaggression is white people or or just any people in the office asking to touch their hair or just touching their hair without asking, right? Have you experienced that? Yeah. In pretty much every organization I've worked at, whereas my hair today might be in this straight kind of bob. Some days it might be curly. Sometimes I have my hair braided. And yes, the comments around, oh, your hair is different today. It's like, yeah, your hair was different yesterday, but I didn't comment on it. So what's the fascination or the actual reaching out and touching without (laughs) permission? It's kind of like, here's the thing. If you do that to everybody, maybe that's a different story. But when it's typically singled out for a specific people, that's when it comes an issue. And so it makes it really uncomfortable because the last thing I want to do is go to work and have to defend myself about being touched, my hair being petted or accosted without someone just knowing that that's not okay. Yeah. And let me just add too, that there are certain things that, Hey, if you're doing that, if you're treating everyone in this the same way, that's fine. But if you're the guy at the office, who's touching everybody's hair, you might want to stop. It doesn't matter what race they are. <laughs> that's a whole nother conversation. Whole nother story, right? If you're doing that, HR, to everybody, come and get this um, HR, someone's going to call HR. What are a couple other examples of microaggressions you've seen, heard, experienced that are, are pretty common out there? When I think about microaggressions, like it's mimicking people's accents, Mm. whereas people might think it's funny. It might be acceptable when you're in that little circle of people and you do it all the time. But when you go out to a different circle or demographic, it's like, don't do that. That's not okay. Another microaggression is when people say, I don't see color. Like I don't, Nicole, when I see you, I don't see you like as black. It's like, well, but that's the one most defining (laughs) characteristic. That's the first thing you see. And so you can't say that you don't see it because when you say that it, to me, it says that you're not seeing me 
as a black woman and I'm a proud black woman. So that's one thing. Or another thing I've like thinking about our LGBTQ plus community, asking transgender people about their genitalia. It's like, that's to me that like goes beyond microaggression. Like that is awful. Why don't ask those questions? Like none of your business. And it's so inappropriate and offensive. And even just things like when people talk about Black Lives Matter, it's like, you know, well, all lives matter. Stop being so sensitive. It's like, well, if that were the case, we wouldn't be saying it. You know what I mean? And so there's all of these different examples. I mean, even just, you know, saying things like, oh my God, that's so gay. Okay, well, no. When you start to think about the things that you kind of inherently believe, you can't quite put your finger on it, but it's there. And then you realize that you say certain things because they're rooted in those beliefs. You have to stop. It's like pause for just a second. But, you know, we always tell people, read the room. It's like, if I'm going to say this thing, is it going to maybe offend this other person that's in the room? And here's the thing, just because it's a comment or a statement about a specific demographic, here's the thing, it might offend somebody who's not of that demographic. And so it's, it's, I think at the end of the day, what we're getting a big lesson in is thoughtfulness. We're getting a big lesson in empathy in terms of how are we understanding where other people are coming from? Just because it's not our experience doesn't make it not real. And also we're getting a lesson in how are we getting to know people who are different than us? And are we spending time doing those things? Yeah. So how do we, you started to go into this already, you know, how do you approach combating unconscious bias? You mentioned you have unconscious bias training set up and, and how do we help organizations and people personally stop these microaggressions so we have a more equitable, inclusive workplace? Mm -hmm. So I think like if you're kind of talking about like a call to action, you know, like what are some things that you can do is first and foremost, you got to do the work. You have to go on that personal journey into understanding your own biases. One thing I learned, in, especially in summer of 2020, is that people are learning and they are unlearning a lot, unlearning a lifetime of beliefs, behaviors, values. Well, I grew up in this community and this is something that we always did or said. And my parents do these things. My grandparents do these things. And this can be across, you can peanut butter this across multiple ethnicities, race, I mean, races, it, you name it, like people are learning and unlearning a lot right now. And so go on the journey, examine your own biases and, and start to question where did this come from? And is this still the belief that I want to hold? Be willing to talk about it. Be willing to have those hard, ugly conversations that we tend to avoid because who wants to talk about racism all the time? It's heavy and it's hard, but it's necessary. And the only way that we're going to get better is if we talk about it and ask for feedback. I'm grateful that there are people in my organization and also my friend circle who come to me when they say, hey, I need to talk to you about something. And let me be careful. <laughs> it's important not to shift burden to a group of people who are typically the ones that are feeling these biases and circumstances all the time. It's important not to shift the burden, but at the same time, if you have those colleagues or those friends that you can safely go and talk to about it, ask them for feedback and just keep learning, keep learning, keep learning. There's so many resources out there whether it's on LinkedIn learning, whether it's YouTube videos. I mean, 
there is a plethora of information. Netflix has a wonderful collection of movies and documentaries that you can search by, you know, like for African-Americans, like you can search and, and find so much out there. So I just say, keep learning, keep expanding your circle, do the work and be willing to talk about it. Yeah. Another thing I've learned from studying this as well and talking to a lot of great people like you is that we need allies and leaders, right, to step up and speak up and push back on those microaggressions. So we we don't want to put the burden always on people from underrepresented groups. But I mean, basically, to put it plainly, we need white guys like me to step up and say, hey, that was not appropriate. You shouldn't touch your hair. Or I think we need to make sure that everybody has a fair, their opinion is heard in this meeting or whatever it may be. So we're all on the same team and we're all fighting the, you know, for the same thing. Yeah. And I think you called out something really important. And this is another thing that I've been really proud of. Our organization is our executive team being willing to do the work, whether it's hosting leadership listen sessions, you know, for our team members and folks in the field and at our corporate office to get on a, a very intimate virtual call, you know, where it's, you know, maybe up to 20 people. And they're just listening to their stories and hearing it firsthand, whether it's them being vulnerable enough to say, hey, I realize that I just was not understanding, you know, the experiences of Black people that are working in my organization, you know, Black women that are working for me. And I had to take a step back and say, I want to hear what you have to say. And so when you say like allyship and, you know, we need more people to support and speak up. It also goes beyond the just speaking up. It's you also have to start looking at your own internal systems, especially in our organizations. It's no secret that there's an we have opportunities for representation across the land, you know, when it comes to leadership. But it's start questioning why is that and how are we actually reaching down for folks to step into those leadership roles that are diverse because it can't continue to go as it is today. Right. We need everybody working together to come to a solution or, or improve things. I want to make sure I ask you, how's your work in L&D and L&D and D&I influence the volunteer work that you do for Harmony Empowered Living there in Dallas? Uh, I am so excited that you asked me this question. So Harmony Empowered Living is a program that is part of our Harmony Career Development Center. And the work that we do in support of the communities in South Dallas They're predominantly Black. When you talk about underserved, under-resourced communities, it's an opportunity to go in and say, how are we creating opportunities within the community for folks who are unemployed or underemployed to find jobs that pay sustainable and livable wages? But then what are the skill sets that they need to get them ready for those jobs? And so all of my passion for people All of my passion for elevating and amplifying Black voices and Black people comes together really beautifully with this volunteer work. And so it's been amazing to work with a powerhouse team of volunteers and women who are typically coming out of, you know, HR and business and social work. And we're all banding together to bring this program to life. So it's been really, really great. That's fantastic. I love it. And clearly making a difference and and helping a lot of people who could use the help, which is great. Just a couple more questions. What trends that you're following in general in learning and development, talent development? 
a trend that I've been really, really just kind of sticking in and kind of following is how companies are looking at blending learning, talent, diversity and inclusion and belonging all together. Because when you have those DNI strategies, Yes, they're obviously massively important and you're looking at the structure of an organization, you're looking at how people are, are coming in, how you're attracting uh, diverse talent, how do we create the experience once they're there and how do we ensure that they're getting the promotability, the promotability that they deserve. And typically what happens is you need training and development and coaching along the way because you're also asking for leaders within the organization and employees that there are some behaviors that we have to change. And so that is a trend that's been very fascinating and interesting to me is how are they now merging all of those worlds together and how they can play in the same sandbox. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely one I'm seeing. For those listening for a while, you may have seen, if or maybe you missed it, I recently released my report of the top five trends in talent development. And weaving DEI into everything that we do was number two on the list out of the top five trends. Uh, so if you haven't gotten that, go on over to talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. That's our podcast website. And there should be a link right there to download that free report. So thanks for mentioning that. I also wanted to ask you, is there a book that has made a big impact on you or that you highly recommend? Right now, I've kind of been more of like a podcast and TED Talk kind of girl. I mean, I was listening to Abram Kendi's um, How to Be Anti-Racist. I was listening to that on my road trip to and from California powerful book and a great playbook for folks who are really looking to dive into what does that, what does being being or becoming anti-racist mean and what is it not? So some of the podcasts and folks that I'm following right now, I'm really loving Austin Channing Brown. I found her work on the next question to be really powerful and engaging. And I really, I can't wait to dig into her book. I'm still here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness. Lovey Ajayi, she's got a really great following on Instagram, and I just love reading her posts and also her rants and randomness posts. Uh, podcasts have been really great. Who was that? Lovey Ajayi. I'll email it to you because it's it, it'll be tough to spell. And then Melody Hobson, Ash Beckham, Renee Myers, like those are some of my favorite TED Talks when it comes to overcoming our bias, color buying versus color brave, and then when to take a stand and when to let it go. Like those are just some of the snippets and quick ones that I really have been enjoying lately. If you're looking for a place to connect with colleagues and peers from your industry and find out what other people in talent development are working on, you need to check out the brand new Talent Development Think Tank membership community. Inside, we have members from companies all over the world who are working on all different things in talent development and sharing what's been working, what's been not working, and answering each other's questions so we can all get our jobs done more effectively and be more successful in our careers. If you'd like to join us, we'd love to have you. Just head on over to tdtt.us slash community, and you can use code HOTSEAT for 25% off your subscription. That's tdtt.us slash community and use code HOTSEAT for a limited time for 25% off your subscription. If you have any questions, reach out to me and let me know and we'll see you there. Awesome. I like it. So many great recommendations. In addition to books and podcasts, you can also join groups to connect with people and find out what's going on. So you recently joined the Talent Development Think Tank community that I run. And I know you've only been in for a little while now, but what do you like about it so far? You know what I like? I love that you always have an expert in our field and it can be 
a chief people officer from an organization. It could be a DNI expert. It could be anyone. It could be a learning design strategist. Like you have all of this, these amazing people. And for those of us that are in the learning and talent space, like we nerd out on this stuff. So it's really great to just go in and see previous podcasts or interviews that you've recorded and just listen to what they have to say. And and again, it's this, it's sharing all of these wonderful resources. So I think it's been really great. I love that I can post a question and ask for information and people will start to chime in with their recommendations. So it's a nice little think tank you got there. Yeah. Well, thank you, Nicole. We're really glad to have you. For anybody out there listening who's interested in coming to join us, our website is tdtt.us. You can get all the information there. You can reach out to me with questions. Last question for you, Nicole, for anybody else out there in talent development looking for a way to accelerate their career success. What's one more piece of advice you would give? I would say if you're looking to get into the talent space is get comfortable with diversifying your skill sets. We're always going to have our subject matter experts, which they're necessary, but I think it's there's a lot of value when you're nimble and you can flex across multiple disciplines. So whereas learning, and this has also been a trend, you know, with organizations where they're kind of merging and blending roles. And so like, if you are an OD practitioner, being able to flex into learning and development, you know, it would probably be a benefit. So I think if you're new into the talent space is just really being able to diversify your skill sets because Hey, situations like COVID-19 may have you flexing into worlds and work that you were never a part of it before. So just being able to have that agility would be my recommendation. Absolutely. World is always changing and we need to be ready. All the more reason to be learning, connecting, diversifying, and building your network. And we're doing all those things inside the think tank. So I'm glad you're there. Nicole, this has been fantastic. Really great to hear about your experience, everything you're doing, and how we can all get better when it comes to unconscious bias and microaggressions and become better allies as well. So thank you again for joining me on the Talent Development Think Tank. Thank you so much for having me, Andy. It was great. All right, take care. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again and take care.